All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At close of business, news briefing. Good afternoon, it's Jacinta Burton with your Friday afternoon headlines. Plans to convert a Queensland ammonia plant to run on green hydrogen will enter front-end engineering and design, according to proponents Fortescue Future Industries and Incitec Pivot. The Gibson Island ammonia plant is operated by Incitec, with the ASX-listed chemicals business last year confirming it would need to close the plant because it could not secure a gas supply. But plans for a green hydrogen-powered plant promise a new life for the facility. Feasibility work suggests FFI will need to build 500 megawatts of electrolyzer capacity to produce 70,000 tonnes of renewable hydrogen each year. The federal government's Australian Renewable Energy Agency chipped in $13.7 million today in a bid to fund the feasibility work, which is estimated to cost $38 million. A final investment decision on the project is due in 2023. And business confidence is approaching lows not seen since the beginning of the pandemic, according to a new survey by CCIWA. But the construction industry has a much improved outlook. The quarterly survey by the Chamber of Commerce and Industry of WA said almost 80% of businesses were struggling to fill a position this quarter. That shows continued pressure in the state's labour market, with unemployment hitting as low as 3.1% in August. About 23% of businesses expect the economy to improve in the coming year, down six percentage points. But 40% think conditions will get worse, up from 33% just three months ago. CCIWA said confidence levels for the next 12 months are approaching lows not seen since the beginning of the pandemic. The most positive industries were professional services, where 67% expect an improvement over the next three months. Construction was next, with 57% believing conditions will improve this quarter. The news may come as a relief for contractors after a series of high-profile collapses over the past 18 months. An outgoing Perth Airport boss, Kevin Brown, has been hired as the new Chief Executive for St John WA. The news comes less than 24 hours after Mr Brown announced he would be stepping down as CEO of Perth Airport in December in a bid to pursue another opportunity in WA. It's understood Mr Brown will start in his new role come January 2023. He'll replace former St John Chief Michelle Fife, who resigned back in June after four years in the role, and will join the not-for-profit at a crucial time in its one. 120-year history. St John has faced mounting scrutiny stemming from the pandemic and hospital ramping pressures. Those pressures reached fever pitch in May when 80-year-old grandmother Georgina Wilde died from a heart attack while waiting more than two hours for an ambulance to arrive. There was also a parliamentary inquiry which recommended the ambulance service be taken over by the state government within five years unless major changes were made to how it operates. And coming up next, journalists Jordan Murray and Matt McKenzie discuss the push to repeal a key segment of the previous government's federal income tax reforms. We understand that business relies on being informed. That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business News. More news, more insights, more connections. 
Welcome back to our Close of Business. I'm Jordan Murray and today on Friday, as usual, I am joined by Senior Journalist Matt McKenzie. Matt, are you prepared for a taxing discussion today? It's going to be great, Jordan. I'm glad to be here. I stole your pun from you. Forgive me for that. (laughs) Now, we are going to talk about tax cuts, specifically today the introduction of the Stage 3 tax cuts. This has become a subject of great debate in recent weeks and in fact this week there has been some rumblings that the current government may seek to repeal those tax cuts. Before we talk about that, though, we're going to go all the way back to 2018 when this entire package of tax reform was first announced, which included more than just the Stage 3 tax cuts. Matt, take us back there. What happened in 2018? Well, the the most important point, or the long-term part of this package, was basically a flattening of the tax structure for middle-income earners. So, uh, the design was that about 94% of taxpayers would be well, the eventual design was that 94% of taxpayers would be paying a 30 cent marginal tax rate. So most of this initial reform package was uh, launched by the Turnbull government in that 2018 budget. In 2019, Morrison and Frydenberg uh, made some changes, made some substantial changes too. The particular substantial change was that that middle tax bracket would be at 30 cents rather than 32.5 cents. So the The ultimate conclusion of all of this is that everyone from $45,000 a year to about $200,000 a year would be paying the same marginal tax rate. And that's why they say 94% of taxpayers are on the same rate. It's all about abolishing one of the middle tax brackets. So it gives you a much flatter tax system, but it's uh, it's still progressive because above the top bracket, people are paying 45 cents or whatever the rate is. And it's one of the most, or was one of the most, substantial economic reforms that had been launched actually probably in the past decade. Some might say it was the only really substantial economic reform launched in the past decade. Now, you can debate these things. Um, Cutting corporate taxes does boost growth more uh, and boosts wages more over the long term, but certainly tax reform like that, cutting people's income tax, has a very positive benefit on the economy. We can talk about all this, no doubt, Momentarily, Jordan. But certainly there is a political unpopularity to it that comes with the idea or the feeling that high-income earners get a tax break. How do you respond to that idea? Well, one of the groups that's actually impacted by this is the average full-time earner. The average full-time earner, at the time this package was announced, was set to earn, I think the the estimate was about $87,000 a year. Not quite sure what the number is right now. Uh, As you get a big inflation problem... Over time, you start to get bracket creep. You start to get people going into higher incomes. Uh, and so in this case, we're talking about people earning you know, $100,000 a year, $150,000 a year, $200,000 a year, or almost $200,000 a year. We're not talking about really high income earners. My recollection at the time was you know, if you're a two-income family, both with sort of average jobs, this would benefit you. If you're like a school principal, people on those sorts of incomes would be, uh, and particularly families with two incomes, Uh, were the ones that really benefit out of this. The Australian carried something earlier this week where they said that uh, 2.5 million uh, middle-income Australians would pay thousands of dollars in additional tax if those Stage 3 tax cuts, which are due to start in 2024, were abolished. Um, So the Australian's analysis said that a wage earner on $120,000 would be about almost $1,900 worse off. Someone on $160,000 would be $4,700 worse off. And these are... You know, people earning decent incomes, you know, they're not low-income earners, they're not hugely vulnerable uh, brackets, but also they're not really high-income earners. It's not like it's Andrew Forrest or Gina Reinhart or even, you know... I mean, the irony about all of this is we now have a government that's proposing extending childcare subsidies to people earning half a million dollars a year, 
right? Half a million dollars a year for childcare subsidies, uh, people in that income. Uh, and so I would say that someone earning, you know, a basically less than a third of that uh, is... <laughs> Is is much less can can much less be described as a high income earner, and the other thing about this to remember is that this is about allowing people to to keep their own money. Um, it's not about handing them money, and so there's a whole range of benefits in terms of how that incentivizes economic behaviour, Jordan, which we'll get into, no doubt. But certainly, there is an argument that circumstances have changed. I think Russell Broadbent and Bridget Archer have been the most vocal on the opposition's benches calling for those stage three tax cuts to not proceed as legislated. Uh, Given there is this uh, shortfall of revenue in the forward estimates, I can't recall the exact numbers, so maybe you might have it in front of you and you can uh, clarify me on that one. Uh, Is there not an argument that circumstances have changed and that we do need to claw back that, that funding that we may not have otherwise had? Well, yeah, circumstances have changed because government spending has gone up substantially. Do you remember, and I said this last week, I'm going to reiterate this one again, when the budget was going to be back in the black and back on track in 2019, that was Josh Frydenberg, and I think at that point that was when Josh Frydenberg was uh, the only treasurer. We didn't have two treasurers back in 2019. But what they do when they do a budget is they project forward estimates, they project revenue and spending, and so back when that budget was launched, they projected revenue and spending for this financial year, 2023. Revenue, $567 billion. Spending, $558 billion. Surplus, in the black. What we're actually getting, according to the most recent budget update, is revenue, $584 billion. Spending, $616 billion. So there's not a revenue problem, because revenue is almost $20 billion higher than people had expected, or rather than the budget had expected. Spending is about $60 billion higher about $60 billion higher. So I would suggest that as much as anything, this is a spending problem. And it's not JobKeeper, because that's in the past. That's not this financial year. It's not just the pandemic response, because most of that spending's in the past. That's not this financial year. Um, just So what we're saying is just this financial year, 2023, the Liberal government, not Labor, the Liberal federal government, increased spending by almost $60 billion just for this financial year. And you've got to realise after that, then there's the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. So it seems that Josh Frydenberg and, uh, and Scott Morrison, well, when, they, when they're in the Treasury portfolio together, they were very focused, I think, on stimulating the economy. And we've seen what the consequences of that have been. But ultimately, revenue is still higher than what was first expected, uh, even with those tax cuts factored in Jordan. So my view is uh, we need to talk more about spending. Uh, at the moment, spending will be 27.2% of GDP this financial year. That's up from about 24.6% in the 2019 financial year. Revenue as a percentage of GDP is basically the same. So it's not the tax cuts. It's not tax cuts causing problems. And the Fed's published data back to 1971. And here's a fun fact for you. This year, Compared to this year, in those 50 years, it might even be 51 years, in five of those 50 years, has spending been higher as a share of GDP, uh, including the last three years during the pandemic? So that's, that's an emergency circumstance. So there's only two years in the last 50, and they were in the mid-80s, where spending as a portion of GDP was higher. So I would say it's not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem. Um, you know, raising revenue is a way to fix the deficit. There's no question about that, but there are consequences to it. And one of the consequences is that 
income earners are going to be pushed into higher tax brackets, paying a hard, higher marginal tax rate. They're getting punished because governments of whatever colour you like are unable to control their spending, Jordan. Which I think gets to that broader point as well, that I, I think a new government is uh, entitled to have its spending commitments, and certainly this government has its spending commitments that it's come to office with at the same time that it's committed to keeping these stage three tax cuts. I think it's undeniable if it were to roll back those tax cuts, it would claw back some of that revenue, which would pay for some of those spending commitments. But inevitably, it seems, regardless of the economic argument, this is a political argument. Is there a political will to repeal the stage three tax cuts? And what would be the impact of that? Well, we'll see if there's a political will to repeal it. It probably doesn't help uh, Peter Dutton's cause that there are Liberals that are getting out saying, oh, maybe you should actually think about repealing it, because this would be the perfect issue for him to really, really go hard. Um, and this is a great, this is the greatest test yet of Peter Dutton's leadership because here is, you know, you always hear conservatives talking about let's have a point of difference. They always say we want a point of difference with the Labor Party. Sometimes they have to invent points of difference which make them look really bad and lose elections. And sometimes they have really clear points of difference. And this is a very clear point of difference between what the Liberal Party stands for. Um, and potentially, and we'll see whether it's what the Labor Party stands for or not, but it's potentially a very big point of difference. And I just recall before the last federal election, the Labor, the Labor opposition at that time was keen to keep these tax cuts. So it's something that they stand for as well. So it'll be a, it'll be a gift to Peter Dutton. And if, if Peter Dutton has any brains at all, he will be hammering them about this every day, about exactly how much it costs a middle-income earner in what is a very high-pressure cost-of-living environment. It's not easy for anybody. In terms of the economic impact, I mean, th there's a very important message that we hear, and we don't hear it enough, and that is about how the marginal effective rate of tax particularly impacts women and also others who are trying to rejoin the workforce. So we hear a lot about uh, people, women returning the, to the workforce after having a child. There's also examples of people, if you're on New Start or whatever, there's also quite a high marginal effective rate of tax there. And what does all of that mean? Well, it's about, um, in, the, in the example of the woman returning to the workforce, it's about the marginal tax rate they pay, the, the rate at which their welfare is clawed back, the cost of childcare, all of those things add into an effective tax rate. And it makes it, it's punishing. It makes it very difficult for people to return to the workforce. So I wonder why it is then that we would hear people arguing to keep margin or to return marginal tax rates to a higher level because we know the impact that it has. We know that it punishes people trying to re-enter the workforce. We know that it punishes people that want to work two jobs um, or that want to, uh, you know, try to start a business. Um, it really punishes people who, who try to get ahead. And I just think it's odd that we're now talking about as a society wanting to subsidise childcare for someone earning half a million dollars a year, but we're not comfortable with tax reform for people that are basically average income earners. So there's a lot of talk about the potential benefits from a flatter tax system. Some people think it'll be fantastic. Um, it's not quite as good as cutting company taxes for the economy and wage growth over the long term. But there are some benefits, and we've talked about some of them. You know, the other benefits are you don't really want to have young professionals going overseas because there's a punishing tax rate for them here. You don't want people going and starting startups overseas because the tax rate is punishing here. You don't want people leaving Australia. You want brilliant minds coming to Australia. And one thing that they'll consider is how beautiful it is and great it is to live here. But another thing they'll consider is how expensive it is to live here, and the, and the tax system is part of that. Um, so it is an economic reform. It will bring some economic benefits, um, and that's why it's, it's puzzling that some people want to unpick it, Jordan. 
Flashbacks to Ted Cruz when he ran for president in 2016 saying that he wanted people to be able to complete their tax returns on the back of a postcard. I don't know if you recall that or remember that one. Well, unfortunately, I think even if it's a flat system, there'll still be many, many complexities. (laughs) Indeed. I think he uh, may have been tilting at a windmill in that particular instance. You talked there about how Peter Dutton could have made a point of difference on this, and it's something that I find particularly interesting, and I think you're right to say Tax cuts is probably one of those easiest battles to fight, particularly with a left-leaning party that wants more revenue to spend on social programs. And I can't help but think if the experience in the UK in recent weeks has had anything to do with that. So obviously the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, and Liz Truss came out and effectively said that there would be an elimination of that uh, top bracket of taxation, personal income taxation in the UK. To the best of my knowledge, it wasn't cost at that announcement. It didn't go through a budget process. And took markets by surprise, and obviously they've since walked back that uh, particular announcement and apparently not doing great in the polls afterwards. So there you go. Do you think that maybe that had an impact on what some backbenchers are now saying and has potentially put Peter Dutton in a bind on this argument? Well, these are quite different because, remember, in that case it's about the top rate of income tax, whereas in this case it's about abolishing a middle bracket. So in that case, you know, the big, the big beneficiaries are the top income earners, whereas in this case the biggest beneficiaries as a portion of their income are, are people in the middle. So it's very, very different politically and very, very different economically. And I, I think, um, you know, as I said earlier, there are some people that advocate a very, very flat tax structure or whatever else, but I think there's entirely, there's, you know, an entirely fair argument for having a, a, a much higher rate above $200,000 a year. That's, there's, you know, a reasonable argument for that. So talking about comparisons to the UK, I just go back to 2019 when this plan was originally outlined and and looking at some of the numbers that they had estimated in there, the top marginal tax rate in Australia, according to the budget documents, cuts in at about 2.2 times average full-time earnings. In Canada, it's four times. In the UK, it's four times. In the US, it's eight times. But but we're talking about 2.2 versus four. They're both small numbers, but really, actually, there's a very, very substantial difference between those two. So the UK top tax bracket cuts in or top tax rate cuts in much higher than it does in Australia. And so, again, we're talking about a, um, a group, a much larger group of Australians. We're talking about a lot of dual income households, a lot of professional people um, and people who are, you know, it's a much larger, broader body of people um, who will benefit from it. And also a group of people who are being, uh, who are dealing with, you know, the punishment and the problems, the cost of living problems of rising inflation. It must not be easy right now to be paying a mortgage, to be raising kids and dealing with inflation and cost of living issues, particularly, you know, and interest rates are part of the solution, but also it's it's very, very tough for people. So that's understandable. I might also add that the uh, particular announcement in the UK had a very brief lead time to it, those tax cuts. I think that was only going to be months away, whereas these tax cuts that we're talking about here are still more than 18 months off. So there's an entire, I believe, budget to go before these tax cuts even come into place. Yeah. And I, they were originally announced almost six years ago. Yeah. So one would assume that they've been priced into a lot of decision making, uh, both by individuals and uh, businesses. So may- maybe there'd be less of a shock to them Uh, should these tax cuts come into effect as opposed to, again, the UK, where it seems to have been a bit of a slap in the face with a wet fish? Well, it certainly looks like the Conservative Party in the UK was really slapped around in the polls after this and by financial markets. 
to read more on the latest in economics, head online to businessnews.com.au where you can see the latest coverage by senior journalist Matt McKenzie. And you can also listen to today's episode of Mark My Words. And if you're also interested in reading further analysis, pick up the latest edition of Business News. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jordan. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.